Hello everyone and welcome to Weekends with Jan. My name is Jan Briones, an entrepreneur and agency owner, former call center employee, an art enthusiast, LinkedIn marketing specialist, and an online business consultant. My mission for Weekends with Jan is to help connect global entrepreneurs with high-performer Filipino freelancers to get them unstuck through quality and ethical outsourcing. My goal is to share with you stories from the most inspiring Filipino talents, hear their definition of success, and introduce you to high-performer freelancers to help move your business with the right support, allowing you to live the life you want, focusing on what you do best, and make you stop doing everything on your own. This show is designed for Filipino freelancers, business owners, and global entrepreneurs who are looking to connect and work with like-minded and high-performer Filipino talents. Please don't forget to leave us a review over on iTunes and follow us on socials to be notified of each episode when it comes out. Let's get started! Hello everybody and welcome to Weekends with Jan, episode number 20. And thank you again for spending your time with me today as I get to spend an hour every Sunday with amazing freelancers and entrepreneurs, but this time not just from the Philippines, but also from around the world. Together, we will get a chance to dig deep into their stories, the things they had to go through before they get to where they are right now, and how they define success. Before I bring in our special guest for today, I would like to let you all know that I love reading your feedback and reviews about the show. So please continue listening to our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. ValuePod Productions, the amazing team behind the show, has now launched 19 episodes live. So you can go ahead and listen to the incredible stories of high-performing freelancers and entrepreneurs from episode number one to 19. I'm pretty sure you will get a thing or two that will help get you going as you journey through freelancing and entrepreneurship. So keep those reviews coming, and I'm sure our guests would love to hear from you too. All right, so if you are watching live right now on Facebook, please say hi to us in the comment section, share this to your friends and family, and tell us where you are watching or listening from. So... Without further ado, our special guest for today is the founder of Blue Ocean Automators, Mark Bertel. He works with e-commerce businesses, coaches, agents, and other businesses to cut the sales cycle in half by building customized AI tools for social media, which creates a unique user experience, reduces redundant human interaction, and increases the sales pipeline by eliminating inquiry backlog on social media at scale. Mark is a business leader on a mission to restore time and revenue for the entrepreneur with the support of 21st century online automation. With Blue Ocean Automators, the entrepreneur is freed up to work on the business while the bots work for the business. Before Blue Ocean Automators, Mark worked at a world-leading technology advisory firm giving product and strategy recommendations to Fortune 20 companies. As the pandemic arrived and wore on, Mark watched many of his friends and mentors be forced to close their businesses. He began building small chatbot programs to help lighten workloads and soon found a passion for both the work and the chance to help keep businesses alive. 
As a graduate of North Carolina State in Biomed Engineering and an alumnus of Duke University with a master's degree in engineering management, Mark brings a dual background to the table, which has suited him well for the projects that he does for clients. Mark says to create a DM automation system and chatbot, the AI project demands both sides of my education. I need to understand the technology to build the bot, implement artificial intelligence, and constantly update it, but I also need to understand marketing, sales, and business so the bot can perform well for the client and generate revenue for them. Mark has a strong desire to make a difference in support of positive change. He knows the technology well enough to excel at it and possess an understanding of how to integrate it within a functioning business, being the best teacher he can be while giving business owners what they need to develop sustained solutions for their endeavors is how he serves entrepreneurs with his agency. Mark's only request is that the only way you are going to find out if his work impresses you is to start with a discovery call. No, he won't send his bots, but you would have to invite him for a personal chat. And that's exactly what I did today. He's here to have a personal chat with us. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dan Briones. It is great to be here. How are you doing? Where are you at right now? I'm doing great. So I'm currently in, I'm the Niagara Falls region up in Canada. I was with my sister overseas for about a week, um, mm -hmm. last week actually, and she just got into grad school in Scotland. So we were doing a little bit of recon over there, but now I'm back in Canada. I'll be heading back to the States in about three-ish days, and then it's back to the grind region up in Canada. That's awesome. So are you like dual citizen, like you're from Canada and from North Carolina or like do you travel yes. all the time? Yeah, so I was born in Toronto. And then when I was three or four years old, my family received a job off. My father received a job offer down in North Carolina. So raised in North Carolina, went back and forth between the two countries pretty frequently, multiple times a year. And mm -hmm. then I just naturalized as an American. I put it off for a very long time, but I finally put the bullet and became an American last November. Awesome. So... Welcome to the show. And actually, I would like my audience and my listeners to know more about you. So can you like take us back in your journey? What's your childhood like, your school and stuff before you got into chatbot, before you became this chatbot specialist today? Mm -hmm. Oh, man, that's a, that's a long story, Jen. So <laughs> <laughs> raised in the United States, went to a small private Christian school, and I always had I guess, a flair or an affinity for international students. I often found, especially in middle school and high school, my closest friends were those from Brazil, were from Canada, were from Europe, from South America, all those different places. And that was something that I never lost. You know, I, I could always appreciate American culture for what it was worth, but I often struggled to feel like it was my country. And I realized, you know, part of it was because I was an immigrant at the time, but... I think that experience instilled me the value of like seeking people that are different from you and learning from their stories as much as you can throughout your life. Additionally, my family was up in Canada. My sister, my mother, my father and I were the only ones who moved directly to the United States. We have a single uncle in Florida, but that doesn't count. So growing up without the family taught me 
it was like it was almost like a, a bit of an absence in my life if you were like not being able to go to your cousins your aunts and uncles on weekends for thanksgiving for christmas for all those holidays like i, I kind of saw that absence growing up so when i finally got i guess reunited with my family and got a chance to meet them in high school and meet all my extended cousins and aunts and uncles, that taught me a lot more about what i value in life what i hope to accomplish what i want to do once i've gotten there once i've achieved my goals and all those types of things um, all those things originally is what drew me to the prima track that I started on. I wanted to become a doctor because I wanted to build relationships with people. I wanted to meet people from all over the world. And, you know, politics change every time you cross a border. Law changes every time you cross a border. But the laws of physiology, laws of science do not change when you cross borders. So I thought that would be a really good way to get to know people across the world and also do something I was excited about. I was in a bioengineering program at NC State and I had a lot of fun with it. I'm very grateful that I got a chance to do that. But I think two and a half years into the pre-med track, I was getting ready to sign up for the MCAT. I was doing EMT work um, within the hospitals in North Carolina. And I was kind of surprised to find I did not like the hospital environment as much as I thought I did. It was very, you know, you're spending 80, sometimes even 90 hours a week, depending on your specialty in these hospitals. People are dying around you. And, you know, you, you also have obviously workplace politics. And at the time, I didn't realize that, you know, workplace politics are pretty much everywhere. I thought, oh, my goodness, this is medicine. What am I doing? And that's not to knock on doctors or medical professionals, because it's a very noble profession. And the people who do it are obviously very competent and I have the utmost respect for them. I just came to realize very slowly that is not the niche that I wanted to go into for the rest of my life. So I very slowly walked away from the pre-med life, I think my junior year, and there's a huge spiritual component to this that I can talk about later if you're interested, but I started looking more towards entrepreneurship and I had a really good friend of mine. He was a Palestinian American. He invited me to do a little startup with him. And that was my first, I guess, official foray into entrepreneurship. We did a project together for about a year, and that eventually took me to Duke University. I recognized that I had the technology skills, I had the ability to build really cool things, but I did not have the marketing skills, the sales ability, the business knowledge to do anything with them. You know, history is littered with really good engineering ideas that were brilliant and phenomenal. They could have been game-changing for society, but they were just not marketed properly, or their entry in the market was too premature, or the tech didn't work at the last minute or something. And there's a couple examples I can give later. But I wanted to find a way to make sure that whatever I built in the future, that didn't happen to. So went to Duke, learned a ton about how to manage businesses, marketing, sales, business strategy, all those things. And that took me to a research technology company up in Connecticut. I had a phenomenal time there, had a really good support system. Two years after that, I then jumped into the world of automations with my systems. So yeah, in a nutshell, that's, I think, the gist of my story. I've been doing Blue Anonymous for a little over a year at this point. I've been building those bots for a little over two years. The first half was, you know, part-time and all that jazz. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a great ride. I've been very thankful to experience what I've been able to for the last, the last couple of years in particular, but throughout my life across the board. That's amazing. And where did you, like, where did the story of Blue Ocean Automator's brand came from? How did you arrive at that name? (laughs) Um, So Blue Ocean Automator's is, it's a a two-part, I guess, play on words, if you will. The first one is, before I wanted to become a doctor, before I wanted to become an entrepreneur, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Like, I've always had an affinity, a draw to the ocean. And one of my 
lifetime achievements, if you can call it that, is I got a scuba license at the youngest legal age I could do so in the United States, which was 12 years old at the time. You know, you could only dive to 60 feet, but that was good enough for me. So Blue Ocean Automators is both a nod to one of my favorite hobbies and what I would do if money wasn't a thing. But it's also, you know, a tongue-in-cheek allusion to that phrase, Blue Ocean strategy, Blue Ocean markets that is often thrown around in corporate environments. I remember when I was when I was in corporate, there was one um, there was one woman. She was so competent. She's so good at what she does, but she used so many buzzwords. She threw in deep dive. She threw in blue ocean. And those two in particular, she said so many times. I had a sticky note on my cubicle, and like because I was within earshot of all of her goals, every time she said deep dive or blue ocean, I put a little tick on the sticky note. <laughs> I remember thinking, if I never hear this phrase again, <laughs> never in my life, I will die a happy man. And <laughs> just just as a little nod to all things corporate, I incorporated that into my my company name when I founded it. Awesome. But is there like, I read somewhere in your website that you have a book that where, where the title came from? It is... It's a marketing book. I myself have not read it. It's something that we learned about when I was in grad school. It's a pretty dry you know, book on how to take strategies and all that stuff. And one of the courses I took, it was called Competitive Strategies. And they alluded to that book pretty extensively. So that's where I first got exposed to it before hopping into corporate. But to be totally transparent, no, I've not, I've not read that book. <laughs> all right, gotcha. Thank you. So actually, we have two questions from the audience. This one okay. is from Denise Madrid. I just wanted to acknowledge... The people watching right now. Hey guys, hello, and thank you for being with us tonight. I know my show started late, but that's because you want to give time for our guests to be here with us in their morning. So that's why we had to extend the time. And thank you for being here. So first question from Denise Madrid. She said, how do you normally set the right mindset to be in the long game? In your case, in entrepreneurship game. So like, how do you set that mm -hmm. right mindset for yourself? So there's, there's a strategy that I use right now, and I'll walk you through that. There's also the strategy that I got started with. And that one, honestly, as, as cliche as it sounds, it was just getting started. Like, like literally, like just the idea of committing to something and moving forward with it. Like, I remember, so like the, what got me going officially where I decided, okay, I got to officially go forward with this. Like I've been building bots for about a year and I was just doing them on the side and, you know, entertaining clients and, you know, make a quick buck here and there. And then September, uh, I think August or September, 2020, I was in Quebec city exploring Canada. I had a friend of mine who was moving to Canada. She needed someone because of COVID who could get into both countries to help move. I was, you know, at that time, only Canadian Americans could do that. So I was uniquely positioned to help her. So I helped him move to Canada. Then we took a vacation and went to Montreal, Quebec city, phenomenal places if you've never been, but I got, I remember lying on my bunk in my hostel and I got a notification on my phone that Chadwick Boseman had suddenly died of cancer. I was, I think it was stomach cancer. And I remember being like completely stunned by that. Like, this is an up and coming actor. He's, you know, made his mark on Marvel Universe. He's, you know, made this film that really you know, like shows like how lucrative it can be to make minority films and how people actually want to see those things. Like he was at the peak of his career and just gone. And that really floored me. And, you know, he was a Christian. My sister sent me an article or a, a quote or something that he said. And it was like, when I die, I want to be able to look God in the face 
and say, I gave every ounce of blood, sweat, tears, everything was brought out for you. Like I left nothing on the table, nothing chance. I gave it all when I was, when I was on earth. And I thought to myself, if I, if I died tomorrow, could I say the same thing? Could I look God in the face and say everything that you made me capable of? I realized the answer was no, because like, yes, corporate was great. And I was really enjoying that and having, I had a really good boss slash mentor. He was very competent, arguably, if not easily one of the best on the team, not just, not just for the results, but like that personality type relationship that we had. But there was always something like deep in my, my soul that was like, what if you did entrepreneurship? What if you struck it on your own? What would it look like? And that became much more pronounced, like gradually much more pronounced as I was realizing my niche and all those types of things. But when he when I made that realization that like, I have other things I want to do with my life, I have other places I want to see other people want to meet other things I want to do that if, well, it, it stopped being an if and started being a matter of when. And so for the next like three or four months, I did nothing but analyze numbers because I'm a, I'm a data person. I, I like, you know, I like crunching numbers and I found that is what gave me the courage ironically that's what like helped me walk up to the ledge but then like a nice you know emotional push if you will from a friend of mine was what finally caused me to jump off that cliff if you will but i spent months like literally it consumed my head before i went to bed it consumed my mind when i was in the shower as i ate food i could think of nothing but how can i make this work like if i have this much money in savings and i'm charging clients this much and i make a client if i close my first deal in like three to six months how much time do i have before i run out of money if i move here if i move there if i move somewhere cheaper than new york city all those factors just buzzed around my head and that's fine you can definitely get analysis paralysis which is what happened to me but the second i hopped on a call with my boss and said boss it's been great loved working with you and learning from you but i have to do this and I have to give you my resignation. That was the moment it all became real. That was when I stopped thinking about whether I could, would, should, and recognized, okay, I've done it. And for myself, I'm a very, like, I tend to think very long-term person. So for myself as an individual, like it, like it, it became like the long-term goal right there. So I guess that's the first answer. The second one is how I maintain that is two things. One is I don't really have a backup plan. Like I have, at, my parents have asked me, so Mark, when you get back to corporate, what are you going to do? I'm like, guys, 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 there is no plan B. We're not going back to corporate. We're not going back to the company we came from. We're not going to do any of those kinds of things. It is ride or die on this journey. I will find clients or I will die trying. I will do DoorDash. I will do freelancing. I will do whatever I have to do to keep this afloat to get to where I need to be. I've been riding this thing for um, about a year and a half. And I guess the most, can this is what I'm about to say, what you were actually looking for 10 minutes ago when you asked this question. But I think the biggest answer I can give you tangibly is be very cognizant of who you surround yourself with. And I, again, I know that's super cliche, but like my family, my parents particularly, like they're very supportive of what I'm doing, but they, at the at its core, I don't think they understand it. Like, and you can kind of tell because of the questions that they ask. And not, it's not like the questions that they ask are like, they're not like accusatory or saying like, I don't believe in you because the parents do believe me. But like, if you read behind, if you read between the lines at like where the question is coming from, mm -hmm. you can tell that this is very much foreign to them. Like at one point, 
my dad and I got into a pretty, you know, heated argument a couple months ago about taxes and these kinds of things. And he came into my room later and apologized. And he said, Mark, tell me that this is going to work. Tell me that you know what you're doing. I was like, yes, dad, I know what I'm doing. I'm thankful for your concern, but I, I got this and I know what I'm doing. So yeah, like surround yourself with friends and people that not only see what you're doing, but support it and believe that you can do it. And ideally they're doing that thing as well. Like I've often found within, within my life, like my friend group has changed a reasonable amount since doing this journey. Like when I was in corporate trying to leave, there was like, I could really very easily commiserate with people that wanted to leave their jobs as well because they thought that they were destined for something else or they didn't like their boss or they didn't like the work or they thought that they were underpaid. So we would all sit there and be like, here's why I want to quit. Here's why I want to quit. Oh, that's really awesome. Here's why I want to quit. And a couple months later, after I left my job, after I'd taken a nice six week vacation because I had had one in like two years, I hopped on a call with those guys. And I was like, how's life? And for them, like nothing had changed. They're like, oh, you know, life still sucks and I still want to do this and blah, blah, blah. And it was much harder it was much harder to relate to them. Like, you know, everyone's going on their own journey and that's, that's fine. Like you don't want to pressure and judge anyone for doing or not doing anything. But for myself, it was much harder to relate to them because it's like, we had this problem. I, again, this is not to brag, but like I went out on a limb, I candidated my resignation and now I'm doing my own thing. And that's not to say like, I got to be really careful when I, when I say this. You at the end of the day, like you are responsible for your own decisions. And yes, everyone has all these situations that keeps them in a certain situation, you know, whatever context that they're in. But if you boil it all down to like the bare bones minimum, which is how I tend to think through these things, your fear of the unknown, whatever that is, it could very well be a valid fear, mind you, but your fear of the unknown is greater than your desire to get out of that situation. And the people that will support you the best the ones that will help you frame that long-term mindset are the ones who understand that and also took that leap with you in their own particular way. And I guess two more examples I can give and then I'll stop running my mouth for your next question. <laughs> the first one was this business friend slash mentor slash colleague I have. We've kind of run our journeys together and he's actually got me into bot building. His name's Ladon Buchanan. He's a really great guy. He's an African-American man in his mid thirties, I believe. And he just has a very different take on life and very different experience. He's traveled the world. He's played professional basketball. Really great guy. And I've, I've learned a ton from him. But when I first met him in like November of 2019, he was just getting started with his business. Like nowadays, he's pushing like 30K a month consistently. But I remember being one of his first clients. Like he, he sold me a, a copywriting deal for like 50 bucks total. And, you know, within two years, he's selling the same types of deals that I paid 50 bucks for. And he's making them he sung him for like ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars. So, having someone or a community to go with you definitely helps because we could relate to our struggles and talk about, you know, this is what I'm having, this is the problem I'm having, blah blah blah. And so that's the first component. The second one I'd say is be very cognizant of who you take your advice from. Like when I was hopping off and getting ready to do this, I asked so many people, "What do you think I should do?" Two things happened. One is I started to I started to accurately predict what people would tell me based off what I knew about them. And I also found that there's a very big difference between, this is gonna sound, this, this, this could sound racist, my apologies, but I realized, and this is one of the things that made me like much more excited to work with people internationally and people of different cultures, but I realized 
the majority of the people that told me to go for it were people who were either like native Americans or Canadians, or they had naturalized and they were with green cards and PRs and all those types of things. So those who had, let's call it stability in the USA and Canada said, go for it. You're really skilled. You got this, you know, that's uh, to a certain extent, that's the American way. That's the can-do attitude of a place like the United States, which is one of the reasons why it's a remarkable place. But on the flip side, a lot of my classmates from Duke, a lot of them, they were just happy to have jobs in the United States, quite frankly. Like when COVID happened, a lot of people got shown the doors. Like one of the, I'm not going to name names or agencies or companies here, but I remember at Duke, there was one or two companies, like everyone in my cohort wanted to work for them. Every like to get that job was to take not even a gold trophy, like the platinum trophy that you could plaster on your wall and tell your family back home, you got this job, it pays well, it's sexy firm. Oh my God, it's the best job ever. Like the people who got those jobs from my cohort, like the envy of our class, a lot of them got laid off during COVID. So from, from just from like, just speaking rounds to my classmates, like asking my classmates, should I or should I not quit? A lot of the ones who'd matriculated to America, and again, this is completely understandable, mind you, but a lot of them are like, no, keep your job, but just be happy you have something. Don't take needless risks right now. Don't, you know, don't, don't quit your job in the middle of COVID. That's awful. And on the flip side, like I had entrepreneurship friends, one of whom his name is Alex Kim. Feel free to look him up. He's a machine learning, really solid machine learning guy. But I hopped on a call with him three or four months before, you know, things started happening. And he had just done the same thing. Like he had just quit his own job like three or four weeks earlier. And I was like, how does it feel, dude? Blah, blah. And I, that conversation I just described to you, like being on the other side, not being able to relate to people who have not yet taken that leap. That's the conversation I had with him. And I asked him like, how, how does it feel? He said, Mark, just, just do it. You know, be fully transparent with your colleagues. Tell them you're building your company. You'll get the support that you need and it'll be great. And I told him, you know, my biggest fear is blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, 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 Mark. Your fear is not that. Your fear is sitting down at your office and deciding to play it safe for let's say two years in COVID, two years turns into five, turns into 10, turns into 20. Before you know it, you're in your you know mid forties, mid fifties, you've got a family and you're like, holy geez, I'm supposed to be an entrepreneur. What the hell happened? So he, in so many words, forced me to realize my fear is not, you know, taking a swing and missing. It's never taking a swing at all. So I know this is a long, you know, potentially rambling story, but yeah, the point I'm making is be very aware of who you take your advice from and who you surround yourself with for both the short term and the long term. That's good. Now, I have a question because you mentioned about fear. And yes. most of the freelancers, especially my audience and listeners right now, still have a lot of limiting beliefs, same as I do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what were those fears that you had when you were starting out? Like, Give us a few of them and how did you like overcome them? I think the biggest fear, so there's some fears that people deal with on the daily and I'm very fortunate that I didn't have to deal with a lot of those. Like I had, I had a very, very supportive boss. Like we, like the first, I worked for, for this company for two years and the first year, honestly, like my boss and I butted heads a lot. Like we just did not get along, different personalities. We didn't fully figure out how it worked with each other. And one day I just snapped and we had a very, very honest conversation. And that was, that was a turning point for me. Like he, we started having almost overnight, like this was partially responsible for prayer as well, but 
we started having a much better relationship. And from that point on to the next year, he became like one of the best parts of my business. So when I quit, he was exceptionally supportive. He's like, I'm very proud of what you've done. I'm very proud of how we've built a relationship and I want to see you succeed. So I've always had the social support that I needed. And to a certain extent, like I, I'm very choosy with who I choose to associate with, like who I choose to open up to. So the types of people that would say like, you can't do this or you don't know what you're doing or are you sure? Or just be happy to have a job. Like, yes, I heard those from some friends, but I never really registered with them because I was able to determine how often I heard those things. If that makes sense. The biggest fear that I dealt with was lack of control and just honestly having enough money to make it work. And for myself, again, I'm a very quiet, heavy person. Um, I was able to assuage those things enough to get going just by I get country numbers until I thought, okay, this is reasonably most likely what's gonna happen. Like if I if it takes me, first of all, you know, I have enough money to last this long. If it takes me that long to find a client, first of all, I probably need to rethink my life decisions. But thankfully it never came to that. So like I will say this from my own journey as well as the journey of other freelancers and even my sister she's thought about doing freelancing as well she's a really really gifted writer she's going to do amazing things someday but she wants to start a copywriting business but she's absolutely terrified of marketing herself all those types of things and i can say that fear is never going to go away that fear like becoming an entrepreneur and being a successful entrepreneur is learning how to manage it and how to look past it and like i can also say that for my own self there's so many things in my business that I was terrified to do at first. And you just simply, you just simply have to look past if you're just turn your brain off, shut, shut the voice off in your head and just, and just do things. But like, I guess to manage that, like to, to manage that period to like an acceptable level, a part of that has to do with what exactly you're scared of. Like for myself, I was afraid of running out of money. I was afraid of, you know, going broke or whatever. And the way I fear I was assuaged those for myself was sitting down thinking, okay, this is the runway that I have. This is the timeline that I have. This is how much, you know, this is how many months I can afford if I live life like this. And then just manipulating those variables. Like if I move south instead of leaving New York, I can extend my my runway, if you will, by, you know, six months. If I eat more cheaply, if I don't go out, if I do all these things, I can extend my time by even more. So um, again, like, and honestly, like, at least here in the States, like freelancing work, you can do DoorDash, you can give blood, you can do photography things like it's, it's pretty, it's not impossible, like it can be done. So for myself, it's just like, okay, like what are my backup plans? Because I don't want to go back to corporate. If I haven't made a client by this, and I have to score a client by this time in the timeline, then here's how I, this, this will be my backup plan. So like I said earlier, I have no backup plan. Like this is my plan A and that's true. I mean, like, yes, I do have like one solid plan A that I am pursuing. I have no plan B, like major life through this, but like in case I don't make clients or in case I struggle financially, like I do have like, let's call them sub A plans. Like this is my plan A1, plan A2, plan A3, if you will. Ultimately, like not what I plan to do long-term, but enough to keep plan A alive. So without knowing exactly what your fears are, I can't comment on that too much. All I know is, it's a matter of managing them and finding, like if it's a social thing, for example, then yeah, finding the right support group, finding you know people who can support that. If it's a quantitative thing, like that's for me, run the numbers and honestly ask yourself as well, like what is the worst thing that can happen and are your fears actually well-founded or are they your mind you know, running amok like a chaotic toddler? Because honestly, a lot of the things that I was afraid of 
that I know my friends and my colleagues who've also thought about this journey are afraid of, they're, it's not that they're unrealistic, but they're highly unlikely. Like a lot of these, you know, big mental goliaths that we get cocked in our heads, the odds of those actually coming to fruition usually aren't as likely as we think they are. No, I'm, I totally agree with you. In terms of going through those fears and like, because the, the thing that I got from you is that you fear that you will lose the cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. And apart from that, limiting beliefs of like people telling you you're not good at this or you, you, you're not able to do that and stuff like that. But when you mm-hmm. were when you were going through from resigning from your corporate work, corporate America mm-hmm. as we call it, right? Moving into your own business, building it up. What were the fears while you're at it? Like while you're building it, while you're doing your branding and stuff like that, what were the things that's going through your mind when you were starting to market yourself or like build this website for yourself? What were the things that's going through your mind at that time? So for marketing, marketing was the biggest challenge for me because that is something I'm not inherently good at. Like I definitely had to teach myself how to build and how to build a marketing brand and all those types of things. And I'm still, I'm still learning that to this day. Like I just hired a sales guy like two or three months ago and he took a look at my marketing and he's like, Mark, there's no, it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense why you're struggling with marketing because this marketing stuff is, it's tough. So he completely redid my marketing and even just watching him tell me this is wrong, take that down, fix this, you know, do this, make this better. It's like, oh, this is how a profit marketer thinks. So yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. Point is the biggest challenges I had when I was doing that was wondering if I could and if I was taking like there's working hard and there's working smart like hiring that sales guy was a smart way to work because he is very gifted at sales at marketing and just 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 watching him just you know being his presence just letting him like perspire on me or like get his air um, was very beneficial for my own marketing campaigns things have been going much better since then so I think my biggest fears in that was am I doing this in a strategically sound way that will keep me afloat. Like if I insist on, you know, tunnel vision, doing things while I think they should be done and not, you know, being willing to hire extra help or being willing to try new marketing campaigns, then this could take much longer than it should. And granted, most entrepreneurship stuff does take longer than it should. So, you know, there is that, but this could take too long before like it could jeopardize other components of the business. Does that make sense, first of all? Yeah, yeah, totally. Let's jump into, because building a business, I mean, in my experience, you would have to have like a team eventually because you're not going to be able to do everything on your own, right? So when you were, I think when we we started um, exchanging messages on LinkedIn, you mentioned something about, I mean, I asked about the schedule, like, do you, do you plan to have me or my team be on full-time, part-time and stuff like that? And you mentioned that it was not a big deal for you because you tried outsourcing before and schedule is not mm-hmm. really a big deal. So let's talk about outsourcing, at, like in your point of view. How is it like working with freelancers outside your country versus working with your co-Canadians or co-Americans you know, Americans and stuff like that? Like, Just give us like an overview of what it's like, not to compare, but like the experience of hiring from a business or entrepreneur's mm-hmm. perspective, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. <laughs> it does. So I, as I've mentioned in my story, I have an affinity for, you know, international folks and getting to know people beyond me. So for myself, 
I've never had any any problems um, interacting with international hires. Like honestly, when I was in corporate, they had a team based in India who would do you know the slide decks and help us tactically prepare presentations, those kinds of things. And my colleague and I, my my I'm not sure what to call it, my assi- assignee, I guess, for the work that we were doing, we actually got along really well. And like, granted, I quit like 50 months ago, but like I still hear from him. And he still sends me stupid YouTube videos. <laughs> when I was in, when I was in, like I, I made a trip to Delhi um, where he's based and he actually met up with me and he took me around the city on his motorcycle and we got drinks and we went to a couple, you know, smaller Indian villages together. It was a lot of fun. So for myself, like, I guess, hiring internationally, working with international people, it's, it's been almost an extension of who I am naturally. So for me, it's always, it's always been very easy to adapt to time zones. I mean, also, I'm a bit of a late night owl, and everyone I've worked internationally with is also late night owl. So, like, there's usually considerable overlap between, between the schedules. It's not like I send them a message and, you know, magically the stuff appears in my inbox the next day. It's like when I'm usually wrapping up my day is when they're starting theirs and like we have time to chat and get to know each other and you know talk about deliverables and all those types of things so for myself my experience it's been nothing but pleasant honestly working with Filipinos working with Indians working with anyone else it's been it's been pretty straightforward and I would definitely recommend it awesome. <laughs> all right thank you for that well another question I have is about I'm not sure if this is a bit controversial in in like in what's going on right now in the world, but how do you think situations and experiences differ between being a business owner from first world country versus here, like a third world country or other parts mm-hmm. of like the world? Like what was the biggest observation you've had? when you were transitioning from corporate America to freelancing, to building your own business, what were the advantages or whatever between those different kinds of worlds, I guess, if, if that makes sense? There's there's two answers I can give you here. One is the cultural experience, and then the other is the professional slash, let's call it federal slash government experience. And those are, those are two completely different conversations, to be honest. There's this thing called like the World Freedom Index or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it's called, but I, I take a peek at it every year. There's a guy I follow called Nomad Capitalist on YouTube. His name's Andrew Henderson, phenomenal guy. And he basically runs his business from like five or six different countries around the world. I don't think there's a YouTube channel I followed or watched more than this guy, but he specifically talks about what it's like building a business in America versus, you know, Georgia in East Asia um, versus dubai or hong kong and like which countries are best for banking which ones are best for politics for tax laws all those types of things so from a political perspective america is a very good at marketing themselves but they are like gradually becoming harder and harder to build a business in like within that world freedom index thing i described earlier america is outranked by some countries you would not expect them to be outranked by. And they basically fall a couple spots every year. And that's not to say it's a bad place to start a business by any means, but it's not the only good place to start a business, not by any means. I think the thing that distinguishes America and Canada to a certain extent from the other countries, and this is the biggest difference, and this is this is the thing that makes America a great country. This is what makes Canada 
a great country is the culture of the people that are there. Like America, both countries are kind of, they're a lot more individualistic than Asian countries and possibly even European countries. Like there's, if I had a dollar, every time I've seen one of those jokes about, you know, some European being like, can you believe they're doing that in America? And the Americans like, I stopped caring what you thought in 1776. Like I've heard that joke so many times and it does make me laugh a little bit, a little bit, but there is something to be said. Like America went from, granted, there's a lot of, like if you read through the geography of the United States, there's a lot of luck involved in how they became a world power. That being said, they became a world power in like less than 250 years. That is phenomenal. And yeah, America has a lot to offer the world. America has a lot to show the world about like how to become a first world nation that quickly. But the most notable thing that I found is the attitude of the people. Like there is a, there is a can-do attitude in America that I've very seldom seen anywhere else. That's something I very deeply admire. And I also saw that, like when I told you earlier, when I was asking people if I should, if I should do this or not, it was all like there. I don't know if I met an American person or a Canadian that told me not to do it. Every single one said, go for it. Awesome. If you fail, you fail, but you have a really cool story and you learn from it. So I think that has been the biggest difference, I guess, building business in America versus what I know about my colleagues who build businesses overseas and just experiences other cultures is there's a much greater fear of failure in those other countries because of how it affects the family, the perception of, you know, the legacy or your father, or all those types of things. And that's all, that's all valid. Like, I'm not going to dispute that at all because there is, there is definitely a lot to be said actually about the familial communal structure of other countries, notably in, in Asia, Southeast Asia, that just isn't present in America. That being said, one of the benefits of living in an individualistic culture is there's a much greater push to craft your own destiny, to build your business, to, to pursue your dreams. And if you can if you can learn to filter through that, like learn to recognize where you need family and community, but also where you should be pushing yourself as a person, if you can strike that balance, and that's the best of both worlds. I hope that answers your question. If not, yeah, it does. It does, it does. You have mentioned already the two different types, cultural and is it individual? Political. Was Political. The, we'll the government the Government thing. Okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. So um, you've been mentioning a few names already, like right off the bat. Were, there, were they your mentors? Are you, uh, I mean, did you seek help from different mentors when you were transitioning from corporate America mm -hmm. or did they just come from nowhere and you just met them or stuff like that how how did you go into asking for help maybe that's the main question how were you able to get out there and be vulnerable enough and tell them that hey i need help on something did you did you get to that kind of journey as well because i'm sure i did but yeah in your case in terms of mentors looking for i don't know people to help you out did you seek for them or did they just appear or something like that it's not that i walked out my door one day and decided i'm gonna find mentorship today okay but i did put myself out there in networking events and like getting to know other entrepreneurs and all that types of things mm -hmm. it was it's a bit of both i think like people who've made it in life and this you can go into like the philosophical angst of this and all those types of things but one thing I've noticed about the top entrepreneurs, and this is almost unanimous across the board, like every everyone I know worth more than seven, eight, nine figures is in this camp that I'm describing. Like, yes, money's great, but when you have that much money, your pursuit 
typically stops to beat money because like when you have enough money to like live the American dream, you know, multiple times over, you stop worrying about whether you're going to put food on the table because obviously you could put like the world's finest food on your table. You start becoming more concerned about your legacy, about what you're leaving behind and what you're imparting to future generations of entrepreneurs for your family, all those types of things. And people want, I think like the people that I've met, like they've inherently wanted to help people move forward. And like my journey in particular has been very graciously impacted multiple times by many people who are much more successful than me, who recognize the hunger or the humility or personality or some combination of all of them and invested in me be it with time, with resources, with some combination of those things. So it's not to say you can just sit down and things will come to you. But for myself, I found just making an effort, going out there, networking with people, people of, how do I say this? And there's certain people that I found I naturally got along with really well. And a lot of those people were very willing to come on board and provide mentorship or any of that type of stuff. Like the guy that I mentioned earlier, LaDon, originally I was, I was one of his clients. Like I, I hopped on networking site and I was choosing like one, I had like 10 options to choose someone to script these copy videos for me. And I chose him and we, we just hit it off really, really well. So like we ended up having a second call and he was also someone who believed in like over delivering. So we just kept finding reasons to, Hey, I made this for you because I really like it and blah, blah, blah. So like we, we got along well professionally, but like we also started building a friendship out of that. So even after the project I had hired him for was long over, we stayed as friends and he started sharing business insights and pouring into me. And there'd be times when I'd call him and be like, yo, well, how do I do this marketing? And then he'd call me back and he'd, he just talked for hours and hours. And it was my, you know, it was my duty to just write down as much as I could for those hours. And I've had multiple experiences like that. So yeah, being open, being humble, being hungry and throwing yourself out there. People, people will notice that people will respond to that. Well, at least what I've seen and truth be told, if they, if you throw yourself out there like that and they don't, then you probably don't want them as a mentor anyway. So, yeah, I hope that answers your question. That's it's a bit. Yeah, of no, I totally, in, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Like just going, you know, getting yourself out there, getting yourself known, not to be vain or what do you call it? Not for the vanity metrics and stuff, mm-hmm. but it's more like putting yourself out there, getting your skills or your expertise to be known. You know, that's what's important, and that's what I'm also doing and also teaching other people. So I totally get your point. I just wanted to say hi to the people watching right now. Hi, Seth, JD. Hello. If you guys have questions for Mark, feel free to comment it down below. We have Sheila, Emmanuel. Thank you guys for being here, for watching live. And um, next question I have is actually from Elaine Vin Bikan. She has three questions for you. it's like a beauty pageant or something um number one (laughs) what keeps you going during tough times do you want me to answer that one first or should i yeah sure let's just go through it one by one yeah go ahead what keeps me going during tough times um there's a couple things the first most blunt answer i can give is discipline and that is a muscle to be developed like people often confuse discipline with passion or with inspiration. 
the difference is inspiration will last a week or a couple of days. Same goes for like motivated. You can, you can kind of see this in like, I don't, I don't know. I, I, yeah, you, you work a little bit in sales, Ken. Um, like you go into a sales hall and like people are always hyping themselves up. Like, yeah, it's time to sell. We're going to get those numbers. Like, I, I remember working for, for a very brief summer once. I worked as an insurance agent. And these guys, I swear they were, I can't say that, this is a professional call. These guys were <laughs> very, very intense. And like, they would bring that intensity every day. Like that is motivation. That is inspiration. And that will get you so far. But the long journey requires discipline because there will be days when you do not want to get out of bed. There will be days when you want to give up. And if you are only running on inspiration and motivation, you're going to fall flat. But if you are disciplined enough to get up and keep doing it, even if you don't want to do it, even if you hate the fact that you're doing it, that is what will get you through. Because again, your feelings of your business, your feelings of life, of your own performance, those things will oscillate. It is discipline that will get you through those valley so that's the first answer I give the second one is so i i was raised christian and over the last seven years it's had a much more profound impact on my life so that i'd say my walk with god and my relationship with him plays a big role in staying sane and not losing my stuff every you know, every couple months as is customary with entrepreneurs and the third one i would say would be finding a community that can understand those challenges and can support you in whatever ways that you need and that can be depending on where you're from like honestly honestly in america it can be it can be harder to find that community and um, that is one of the downsides of living here like again countries in east asia countries in europe that are much more family oriented that have much more of a communal support structure that's you know having that's a no-brainer but for americans for canadians yeah, to a certain extent as well that is not as common as you think so yeah, I'd say discipline, community, walk with God have been my biggest three things that have kept me sane during the ravines of life, shall we call them. Gotcha. Next question she has is like, have there been any bad decisions that you have no, there's always regret? Bad. <laughs> <laughs> there's always bad decisions. Oh man. Oh man, joke aside. Yes, you will you will make bad decisions as an entrepreneur. There is simply no denying that. The regret, that is something that you can choose to have or not to have. And I, uh, how, how do I word this? And there are things, there are bad decisions that I've made. There are some things I regret doing, but I do like that regret is balanced by what I learned from them, if that makes sense. Like, can you I mean, cite an example? Like, like, yeah, if yeah, you- there's... Just small regrets and small bad decisions like, oh, buying this business course that turned out not to be worth anything or, you know, hiring someone bad that, you know, turned out they were, you know, they weren't a good hire and you had to fire them. Like those are small things. Like, I guess I'm going to assume you're talking about like the bigger life regrets. Like I, I could have chosen path A or B. I chose A and six months into it, it sucks. And I should have gone with, with B or whatever. Those things are deeper. Those are, they, those can be more challenging to overcome. But my mindset that I've had has always been, okay, what did I learn? What did I learn and take away from this experience? And to a certain extent, it's like the butterfly effect. Like when I was in grad school, I went to Duke. Mm-hmm. And there are two schools that I always wanted to attend. Duke was one, for which I'm very thankful. The other one is Stanford over California. And 
I would like, I didn't apply to Stanford for grad school because I think I was missing a course or something like that. And at times when I was, when I was at Duke, I'd went like, oh, what if I'd gone to this other school or what if I'd applied to more schools or whatever? And that in the season, you can do that. And like, sure, it can consume your thoughts, but like the longer you get from that point, for myself at least, it's like a butterfly effect. Well, if I'd gone to that school for this one, I wouldn't have met this person. I would have done that. I wouldn't be where I am now. So for myself, um, like decisions, like regrets like that are a bit easier to stomach because you don't know what that other path could have led to. Maybe it would have been better. Maybe it would have been worse, but you don't know. So for myself, honestly, I'm just very grateful to be where I am. So like the idea that like, oh, if I not gone to California for that conference, or if I decided to whatever, not go to that school, decide to stay here and stay there. And like, I wouldn't have met that person. Those types of what if scenarios are what keep me from regretting the paths that I've gone down, whether the outcome was good or bad. Does that make sense? Totally. You mentioned about, I think, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I think at the end of the line, that's ultimately like a mindset type of thing. Like there are people I know in entrepreneurship that are struggling because they i'm going to be totally blunt here they do not possess the level of grit required to get through whatever it is that they're going through every failed project was a client's fault um every bad marketing decision was their team's fault all those types of things and that is that is one way you can think but that is going to be repulsive to the types of people that you want to attract i've there are very few things in my yes i've made a ton of mistakes in my business and i'll probably continue to do so but there are very few things I regret doing. And there's almost nothing that I will sit on a call and say, oh my God, can you believe that happened? This was a really bad idea. How could he, she, they, and them have done that, blah, blah, blah. Because again, like people notice those types of things and people don't like to be people. If you can do business with someone who's type A, you can see every challenge as a wall to be smashed through. That's a much greater, that's a much better attitude and has a much greater I guess, likelihood of success than someone who, you know, I don't want to say that. Then someone who struggles to overcome obstacles or mm. mentally gets tripped up as often by the same thing, if that makes sense. Like you can choose, you can view all these challenges as life lessons and things to absorb and make you better at what you're doing, or you can view them as stumbling blocks that is evidence of the world, universe trying to get you. One will get you places, the other one will take much longer to get places if you get anywhere else, to be totally blunt. Yeah, 100%. Was that three questions or two? I've lost. Well, the, the other question is you. You've answered it a bit. Her third question okay. was, "Who is or are behind your success?" And you've mentioned about your walk for God, your family, and stuff earlier, right? I, I was. You mentioned about you mentioned about conferences earlier. Were you always active in going to like or attending business conferences before you put up your own business, or were you there to just go networking and stuff like that? So I've been, since starting the entrepreneurship journey, I've been to two conferences and they happened within like a month of each other, which was kind of convenient. But I went to both of them with an explicit intention to get things out of them. Like I attended the TNC conference last year in San Diego, and then I attended the Groove Funnels conference in Cocoa Beach, Florida last November. And both of those instances, like I went with an objective, like I use the technology or this is my market, this is my niche, I can benefit from things here. I have not just gone to a conference yet for the sake of going to a conference. That being said, it's not a bad strategy. I just haven't 
I mean, conference tickets, those things ain't cheap. <laughs> so Ooh. at this at this stage in my entrepreneurship journey, I do not have the capital necessary to just say, hey, conference on scuba gear, yeah, let's do it. Conference on finances, let's do that too. Like it can be valuable. And honestly, if you're if you're a bot builder at a marketing conference, you're gonna have a certain amount of reach. But if you go to an e-commerce conference or if you go to a conference where people don't inherently know what you're doing. You could make so much more of an impact there than at a conference that's within your niche. So I, I see value in going to, I guess, less conventional conferences. And if you're doing that, then by all means, keep doing it. I just haven't had a chance to do that for myself yet. But it that's is on my list. That's interesting, actually. Like before, when I was, when I had the capacity to also attend business conferences here and abroad, I thought that it will be beneficial if you're attending a conference that is within your niche. Like, mm-hmm. I thought that's beneficial. But yes, partly, partly it is beneficial because you're, you're getting to meet, you know, people who are in the same headspace as you or like, you know, who understands what you're doing. But what you said totally makes sense to me because if you go in another kind of conference where your service would be the unique one, that will make you stand out more mm-hmm. than being in a conference at the same niche and stuff like that. So yeah, I just want to say that that's totally making sense and I agree with that. I can say the two conferences that I was in, the second one, and granted the audience was slightly different. So, you know, there's that to consider. But I made, so I was, there was a digital marketing conference where most people did not know what chatbots and DM automations were. Like I had to very specifically craft my pitch to them. The other conference I went, like there were there were bot builders there, there were automation experts there, but they were they were definitely like in the minority. Whereas in the conference I attended in Florida, I mean, one of the keynote speakers was a like multi 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 millionaire bot builder. He was a very good presenter. So by the end of the conference, everybody knew what bots were and the value that bots provided. So like I could like people would ask, "What do you do?" And I'd say, "I have a bot." Oh yeah, like no further explanation needed. So at that conference, like it was, I was more easily understood, but I didn't make as many business contacts or like, let's talk about business later. At the other conference, when like, no, like I had to explain bots over and over again, automations over and over again, people didn't understand as quickly, but I had a lot more people say, let's talk, here's my card. So it's a bit of a trade-off. You can be yeah. more understood, but you might not make, I mean, for myself at least, I didn't make as much of an impact at that one just because of the nature of the audience that I'm speaking to. Yeah, totally makes sense. In terms of, because you've been doing entrepreneurship, you said over a year or two years now, right? What yeah. can you what can you tell our viewers or audiences or listeners, those who are starting out, like those who are still in corporate? What, mm-hmm. like, what can you tell them? Where do they need to start? What do they have to prepare before, you know, leaving their work or something like that? Or should they do both things at the same time? Like, what are your tips for those people starting out to also who also wanted to build something for themselves and pursue their passion of, say, a business, different kind of business or something like that? What can you tell them? I would say starting a business, I mean, there, there's multiple ways to do it. And I had multiple strategies presented to me when I was thinking about going to corporate. like when I was in corporate trying to leave, like the, one of the bot, the, one of the bot communities that I'm part of, it's run by Natasha 
well, she's not married. Her name was Natasha Takahashi. Now it's Natasha Willis and her husband, Kyle. They have their own strand. They're, these guys are phenomenal. Bach. It was like, you know, you know, kings of kings, queens of queens over there. But they would share their story on how they got started. And I believe Natasha dropped out of college to get going on her stuff. And, you know, it was, you know, it's definitely been very, it was definitely the right move. Kyle, if I recall correctly, was working in a corporate job, but he didn't quit until he'd replaced that salary. Like he was making, I don't know what he's making. Let's say he was making $80,000 a year, hypothetically speaking. He didn't quit that job, if I remember his story correctly, until he had he was able to match that with his with his bot building salary. And then you know, he's able to go from there. I did not do that. Like I had you know, I had client demand, but I was not nearly making the type of money at the bots at first that I was making from my corporate salary. So I say all this in a very tactical way. I guess the abstract answer I would give you is it's like learning to swim. You can sit there and you can study a book on swimming as long as you choose, but that is no substitute for actually getting in the water. Admittedly, maybe just like walking into the shallow end, dabbling your toes here and there, then taking a step in, you're up to your ankles, up to your knees, up to your waist, whatever. But at some point, there's no comparable experience to just getting out there and swimming. So this is not me saying, you know, quit your job without a plan or any of that kind of stuff, because that's, you know, borderline reckless. If you want to do that, then by all means, but all the entrepreneurs that I know that made it, like they, they had a really solid idea of what they were doing before they quit their job. Like granted, some people quit financially speaking. Some people quit much sooner than others before they were stabilized. Others went until they were stable, but they all had at least a game plan in mind of what they wanted to do. So. I would, I would not say to quit your job and just, you know, hope for the best and build a blog and hope that people come to whatever. For myself, I quit my job when I was no longer able to juggle both. Like I had the occasional bot project. I think I had, when I was first thinking about quitting, I had two or three under my belt. And then someone asked me for this particular project that was like, oh, geez, okay. And then I realized I cannot give this the full attention that I need if I'm working a nine to five job, 40 hours a week. Because if you're being totally honest, people like some people can do this great much more easily than others. Like they can grind from nine to five and then work from five to nine for their own stuff. And you know, some people can't, that's great. But the like the thing that I struggled with when I was working the full-time corporate job was like working nine to five, nine to six, nine to seven, whatever, and then having dinner. And then like after a long day of that, like I did the job that I did, I spent a lot of time doing like internal advisory sales calls. So I was on calls like this all day, like nine to six, nine to seven. And you know me, Jan, like my strengths are definitely doing introvert things and building things behind the scenes. Those are things I do until three in the morning, but I would just be exhausted after these days. And like, if I was like on top of my game, like pumped full of caffeine, I could do two or three hours of work on a project before I had to shut down for them. So when I decided to quit was when I thought like, I cannot realistically complete this project in a satisfactory way, let alone any other projects without giving much more time to this I'm currently doing. So I hope that answers your question. I still don't remember what the question was. If I'm gonna be honest, <laughs> I <don't> like <laughs> better answer. No, no, you did, you did. So the first tip is like, you're not suggesting them to like quit until and you know unless they want to 
but it's still mm-hmm. good to have like a game plan, right? And um, it's mm-hmm. either they follow through what other million dollar business owners are doing right now, like they match their salary with their freelance or entrepreneur revenue before they quit, or like you, you already have these part-time gig for the chat, but before you decided to quit the corporate America job that you have, right? Did I, did I yeah. get that this correctly? Yeah, I would say the biggest factors that contribute to this is one, how much self-awareness you have, because that will play into what your strategy is. Like you're someone who can spontaneously just get up one day and found an agency or found a company and you've done that before, then by all means, do it again. Mm-hmm. If you thrive in the uncertainty of like flying by the seat of your pants, if you will, and finding ways to make it work, then by all means do that. But like, I know myself well enough to know if I had quit without a game plan, I would have been like so terrified. Like I almost would have been like too scared to move almost. So for myself, knowing the type of risk taker I am, like I'm very good at taking calculated risks, but like flippant run-of-the-mill risks are, you know, needlessly risky for myself at least. So knowing how I operate and how I respond to things, having those numbers, you know, line up properly and knowing what risk I was about to take before I took it, that was what allowed me to operate on the timeline that I did. That might be different for people who are more or less risk averse. Like again, the guy I mentioned earlier waited to leave master salary before switching because he did not want to tolerate that financial instability. And then I know other people who've dropped out of school, who've done all these things to run their own businesses and they've succeeded at those as well. Sometimes they even have a full business plan ready before they took the lead. So that's true. Um, the biggest answer I can give is like understand what you're willing to tolerate and then decide accordingly. Totally agree with you. Another thing is it's depending on what their situation is right now, because some are, you know, some have their families, their kids and stuff. So it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, a good thing to tell people to, yeah, quit your corporate job and do freelancing or build your own business without considering the needs of their families as well. Right. So it's, it's really like depending on the situation, but for me personally, before I went full-time freelancing, and this is for my fellow Filipinos, it's like I juggled everything as much as I could because I don't have that much responsibility at that time. And I have all the time in the world. Like I do not want to sleep eight hours straight. Like I can just work and work and work and stuff like that and just take a nap and I'm all still alive. But but for those who cannot do that, the multitasking and other things, then they should have this really, as you said, calculated plans or risks, you know, before they let go of anything they have in their life right now. So I know it's over an hour now. So I just wanted to check the people. People are commenting. Give me one second. So yeah, we have Sheila Labton. She said, Mark is all out here giving his insight about business and personal experience. She might want to like do the re- uh, watch the replay later on. I tried it once, quitting corporal, but yeah, I don't have a game plan and miserably fail. Now I'm rethinking things, getting back my corporal job, and slowly building things that would later yield results in my freelance business. Good job, Sheila. Uh, thank you for being. <laughs> thank you for you know commenting that over here. So yeah, it's been over an hour. I just wanted to like have people an idea of what your services are and 
introduce your services to us because I'll be promoting also your business to my network on LinkedIn. So tell us more about what you do on chatbots, what makes you different from other chatbot specialists and all that jazz, as you like to say. All that jazz. All love that, that jazz. Phrase. I don't even know where I learned that phrase from, honestly. So I build DM automations and chatbots and other work for them. What I basically do is I create these systems and they connect all your current marketing systems to like take, what's a good example? Take a standard e-commerce page. Standard e-commerce page, you know, you've got, I think statistically all these huge corporations have done their um, done their studies and they found like literally 70% of cards go abandoned. Meaning like of all the purchases that go through, only you're, you're only capturing 30% of the sales that you could capture if people committed to the buy button like they did the add to cart button. That's another story for the day. Point is, so the systems that I build, these are basically growth tools that aim to increase the sales of customers by not increase, like they're basically making their return on ad spend more efficient. So let's say, for example, I attach a bot that I've built to a Facebook ad. That bot will have a conversation, will convince the user to buy things, they'll click on the link, sales. if they haven't bought, then it will follow up and say, hey, you forgot to buy this. I mean, it's basically a highly customized user experience that leads to more sales, um, time saved, for the agency and a great return on investment for their ads as well as repeat business as well. I guess in an abstract sense, you could say I create growth tools using automations that allows companies to scale while taking their hands off the controls. Awesome. I ask this question to every guest that I have here on the show. What is your own definition of success? My own definition of success. I mean, at the end of the day, I think... You would, one would define success as getting what they want out of life. The question that you have to answer is what is it that you want out of life? And that, that takes a lot of thought, to be totally honest with you. My definition of success has changed substantially. When I was an undergrad, I wanted to get into med school. I really wanted to go to Johns Hopkins Med School up in Baltimore, Maryland, and become a doctor that could travel the world and all those types of things like my my overall goals have always been the same that is to you know meet lots of different people hear their stories understand who they were how they tick and we do places for myself just the way i go about that has changed when i was in when i was in grad school success was kind of like but more more to the point success was finding a nice job at a big sexy company like McKinsey or Bain or BCG or Google or Facebook or whatever and I know like I have a ton of friends now who've made it into those companies even from my previous job where I worked a lot of them transferred from that agency into Google and Facebook and you know props to them like good for you and I, I recognize now that that would very much have been you know golden handcuffs for myself like how had I been hired by Google or a huge consulting firm I would not have had the courage to walk away from such, such a sweet deal. So at one point it was getting into med school. At one point it was getting hired by some nice company. Um, at this point, I would say success is having the freedom to do both fiscally and, you know, time-wise, I'm not sure what the fiscal quarter time is. You spatial? I don't know. Anyway, having the ability to make an impact where you see fit, when you see fit. Like when I was in corporate, for example, I had a friend of mine, she's like, hey, I'm going to Russia. You want to come? And I was like, hell yeah, I want to come. But you asked me two weeks before you left, dude, first of all, visas. Second of all, I can't just tell my boss I'm going to Russia. What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? So 
like those are the types of things that I'd have to pass on, if you will. But I mean, take my trip to, I just went to Scotland with my sister and my mom is a very loving mom. She's very concerned about my sister's well-being because it's my sister's first time traveling overseas. So she asked me to go with her and I was able to go. And my mom was so very thankful. She's like, Mark, I'm so thankful that you have a job like this where you can do these types of things because it makes me as a mother much happier and it made your sister happier as well. My sister would not admit that, you know, verbally because she's my sister, but I, I know that she appreciated me there just based off of other things that, you know, only siblings can pick up on. So yeah, I think success for me is at this point in life, it's the ability to, to have an impact in ways that I see fit, if that makes sense. Totally. Now let's have a little bit of fun before we end this session. I have um, I have a quick question here. Like, if... <laughs> so this is... You have to tell me the first thing that comes out of your mind, okay? <laughs> what, would, what would your superhero name be? <laughs> My superhero name? Uh-huh. <laughs> Just want to like end this episode like in a like oh, man. not oh, oh my god <laughs> okay so when I was a kid when I was in the playground with my classmates because I was Canadian in American school like American kids think Canada's like a third world patient it's actually kind of funny but people always like oh you're Canadian so you must like ice or something so like whenever we played superhero games as a kid I was always <laughs> I was always the kid with ice powers. <laughs> so let's go with, oh man, let's go with my childhood superior name, Captain Canada. It actually, it actually does exist. Like if you look through Marvel comic lore, there is a Captain America equivalent in Canada. So it's not completely, it's not completely unrealistic. But yeah, there's my... There's so your superhero name would be Captain Canada. All right. God, that's so cringe. It's you know, <laughs> six-year-old imaginations. I'd probably, if I had a, if I had a do-over, I'd probably change it. But yeah, we'll go. We'll go <laughs> Got it. All right. From now on, I know what I'm gonna call you. All right. So, where can people find you? Where can people get in touch with you? Um, you know, contact you for your services and stuff like that. Yeah. So my website is bluishandoddmaters.com. My Instagram is at blueoceanautomators, and you can email me at mark.bartel at blueoceanautomators.com. Awesome. Hold on. We have another comment here from Sheila. She, hold on. All right. She said, I love how they work. Uh, I love how they work, bots and automations. My first interest started when I discovered Notion. And you could do a lot of things there if you know how to code. But if you're not a techie person, it will be counterintuitive to try and figure it yourself. That's why more people would likely work with professionals like you who can make everything work and automate their business through your tools and systems. It's liberating and fantastic. Ah, All right. Awesome. Thanks, Sheila, for that. Thank you, Sheila. (laughs) So, yeah. I'm lost for words because I know it's over an hour now and it's your morning. I'm not sure what your plans are this Sunday, family day, but I don't see any other comments here. I think people enjoyed the the episode right now. Anything else you want to say to the audience or to the listeners of the show? Keep doing it, guys. (laughs) For all the the wannabe entrepreneurs, just do it. 
it will you will not regret it. even if you fail that's a badge that you can learn from and try again later but i think the biggest there's a quote you know what? i'm gonna be a super nerd i'm gonna finish with a quote from teddy roosevelt let me pull it up on the internet hold on while you're doing that um i just wanted to say guys that yeah cool so i just wanted to say that next sunday uh, we will be going back to the 5 p.m show um today is just an exception for mark and um once i get other international guests on the show we would have to also change some schedules so i really appreciate you guys being flexible on the show and Don't forget to subscribe on the podcast platforms that I mentioned, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere. And I will be opening my second batch of School of LinkedIn Marketers by August of 2022. So keep an eye out on my posts. And yeah, did you get your coat ready? I do indeed. So Okay, so a little bit of context on this quote before I run my mouth for 20 more seconds. Um, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine at undergrad and we were having a debate, what is the richest place in the world? And we came up with a bunch of, you know, random answers, oh, Dubai or Fort Knox or US Treasury, the IRS, Washington, whatever. The most interesting answer was a graveyard. And the reason why a graveyard is the richest place ever is because in the graveyard, our books not written, movies not produced, businesses not started and relationships never initiated so um this quote is one that i often look to when i think about whether i've made the right decisions in life and all those types of things and this is the man in the arena by theodore roosevelt that is not the critic who counts not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better Credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood he strives valiantly who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the trump of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, that his place shall never be with the cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. My parting words is give it a shot, guys. I don't remember who said in the comment section that they tried a business and failed. Sheila. That's phenomenal. Sheila, at least you tried. Now get up and try it again. And that's all I got for you, Jen. That's amazing. That's a beautiful quote. Um, we will post that in the show notes, guys. So don't worry about it. I'll get him to give me that quote so I can <laughs> add it in the show notes. So yeah, Mark, thank you so much for being here. And I hope we catch you again next time for your other topics in your head because i know you love to speak you love to like share your thoughts to people so probably we'll be yeah. um yeah we'll get him again sometime soon so yeah guys thank you for staying with us tonight it's past 9 p.m in the philippines and um keep an eye out on this episode it will be launched probably next week or the other some um, the other week <laughs> I need I need a drink now. <laughs> But yeah, thank you guys for staying with us and um for supporting the show. And uh yeah, see you again next Sunday on Weekends to Jen. Thanks guys. Bye. Thanks, Mark. Take care, guys. Thanks, John. There you have it. Wow, that was a very powerful message. Thank you so much for spending an hour of your Sunday with me. And I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I did. 
Now, please head over to our socials at Weekends with Jan for the link. And please leave us a review for this podcast over in iTunes. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday night with family and friends, and I'll see you next week on another episode of Weekends with Jan. Thank you.